0: I remember the first time I heard a Steve Earle song. At the time, it was being sung by Waylon Jennings, The Devil's Right Hand, to which my mind seemed to be the first song about a firearm in country music that was ambivalent about the glory of firearms. Built into the lyrics was a cautionary tale about the moral hazard of gun worship. I sat up and took notice. This was a long toss from the God, Guns, and Guts ethos of a lot of country music of the time. It is a deeply conflicted song that seems simple. This was my first introduction to Steve Earle. Some years later, Guitar Town was released and became a smash on both the country and the rock charts. I took notice again what seemed simple was a deeply complex and idiomatic pulse-taking of the American body politic. His songs were about working people, farmers, miners, mechanics, waitresses, bikers, the people in the milieu that I came from and knew. When Copperhead Road was released some years later, people began to notice Steve's gift for the specific, as opposed to mushy, atmospheric, stadium-ready beer anthems. Lyrics like, My Daddy Ran a Whiskey in a Big Black Dodge bought it at an auction at the Mason's Lodge. He may not have lived the song, but for damn sure somebody else did. It contained the pagan howl of the working class outlaw. There is such a thing. You see, embedded into Steve's song is a careful and sometimes troubling knowledge of American history. He is a voracious consumer of history books, a perpetual student of We the People. For the last quarter century, I've had the privilege of putting a face on each of his albums. I do not take it lightly. His chapters of our American experience. And to his song, there has never been anything like a watery approximation or a half step. This American songbird is the truest document I know. The raw ether of the real thing. My guest today is Steve Earle, who is celebrating the 30th anniversary of Copperhead Road. Along with us, his friend, protege, who was referred to him by no less than the great T-Bone Burnett, Logan Ledger, who, along with Steve, played City Winery last night. So welcome to both of you.
1: How are you? Great to be here. I'm good, man.
0: I'm good. I enjoyed... First of all, Logan, this was my introduction to you, and I had a hard time deciding which... Ghosts, you echoed up the most for me. You, you kind of phrase a little like Willie Nelson. You have the deep, resonant voice of a, of a George Jones, and there's a little bit of a hanging
1: echo like Roy Harbison. But it's all yours. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I can't uh, I can't help but wear my influences on my sleeve. I think that if you had uh, heard me when I was a teenager, I probably would have been. You might have th- thought I was doing impressions or something. <laughs> but I figured out I figured out you know how to be myself. Well,
0: and Steve, welcome back. You know, Chicago is your hometown. Uh, may as well be. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's. A we've hometown. adopted you. We are not giving you back.
2: It's kind of where my career began. You know, so I mean, I mean, the the first time I was ever sure that I was going to be able to make a living at this and it wasn't going to just go away was was after playing Park West. You know, it was a dollar show. I was there. You know, and, and it was, you know, uh, after that, something happened in Chicago. I, I, well, I know what happened. XRT, WXRT decided they had just sort of stumbled onto a radio format of their own and they decided that I fit into it. And, you know, I'll lend Bremer for that, you know, and—, and uh, it's like uh, he's the one he's the one that actually made the decision to to play the record. And him and Norm Weiner like um, supported me for years and, and 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 introduced you know, people to the idea that I didn't have to necessarily be played on country stations, which was great because I needed to get played somewhere and I was about to get kicked off of country stations. <laughs> so that was that was coming pretty quick. So I've told
0: Max about a hundred times how we actually met.
3: Yeah, but Steve, I kind of want to know your your story. I mean, I've heard his a thousand times. I feel like you have a side that might be a little more revealing, or maybe uh, no, it's, more it's, truthful.
2: He basically <laughs> you find that your father lost. He knows me. Yeah, like, you know, it's it, the the thing about it is is uh, he was sober before I was, so he probably remembers it better than me. But uh-huh. but the deal is. There was a lot going on. The first night, it was a Park West show, right. and it was um, a lot of people there. And he happened to be there because he had the radio show at the time, and and oh, right on. he could get in anywhere for he could get in anywhere. for me, I didn't even so, have yeah. to
0: pay the dollar for yeah, the yeah, dollar yeah, show. Yeah,
2: so. <laughs> so it was, you know, th- that began it, and then. A few months later, uh, you know, I, I, we did. We kidnapped my, we, we got my, my producer at the time and the the guy that signed me, Tony Brown, and said, "Well, we're taking some friends for dinner," and then we loaded about 50 people, most of whom I had never fucking met. They
0: before. were mostly girls. There's a lot of because girls because I and, went outside I, the bus and I said. There's you guys want to eat with Steve Earle? and they just all piled <laughs> up
2: <laughs> it was we, we literally had this old it was an oh it was a sixty three oh one model Eagle bus, which has a slightly raised roof that's the old super scenic cruiser, so they're a little taller than the average buses were short by today 's standards because it was a thirty five foot bus it's an up sixty three model but we literally to get to that Mexican restaurant. See, Mexican food was a big deal to me. There was yeah. no such thing in Nashville at the time. Okay. But Chicago had had Mexican food. and We I'm have from, the best Mexican I'm food from yes, San, uh... Well, I'm from San Antonio, Texas. <laughs> oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys got some good stuff, it, but, too. Yeah. But it's pretty uh, good here. So <laughs> so when I came to Chicago, I didn't want to eat anything but Mexican food. So, you know, I, I got Tony was going to buy us all dinner, and he was pretty drunk. And we loaded all these people. We had so many people that, that well, we probably wouldn't have made it there because in that bus, we got to a bridge and we couldn't get under the bridge and at least the driver realized it rather than ripping the top off the bus. So everybody in the bus, there literally were people sitting in both of the lounges, people in the bunks and people all up and down the hallway where the bunks are, like standing like, you know, I mean, (laughs) it was literally stacked like cordwood. And so it was like everybody to the back of the bus and everybody went to squeeze towards the back and everybody to the front of the bus bus. and we we, we took it an inch at a time by bunching people up and getting more weight over one wheel under a Low overpass, and we got to the Mexican restaurant.
0: One and, red uh, hair between the bus and yeah, the absolutely. bridge. Was this the know.
3: was this the infamous bus? I've heard a story about a a, a certain tour bus, like this the green motherfucker. That was or something. it. That was it. Okay, okay. Great that's, that's, that's something I'll yeah. never forget. It was, as it was a kid. green. It was green. Yeah. Every band member member's like that green motherfucker. It was, it was <laughs> <just> <laughs> like
2: <as laughs> a really old bus. It was yeah. the only bus that I could afford. It belonged to a guy named Dan Gillis, who later became my tour manager, and then right after that, my manager. But we leased it from him was the only bus he owned, and he didn't know... You know I didn't know it, but it, when yeah. when I was asleep, he was always under the bus wiring things back together with with baling wire and stuff. So Spitting rubber bands oh, made the, so.
0: the bus go together.
2: Yeah, but we went to hey. the Mexican restaurant, and Tony passed out on the bus, and he had all of his stuff in a hotel in Chicago because he'd flown and he woke up the next day someplace else and because uh, we couldn't wake him up, so
0: <laughs> yeah, we had to—, we had
2: to re- You know, read.
0: those margaritas are a bitch, man. Yeah, that's
2: a thing. <laughs> they'll yeah. get you. <laughs> yeah, Pat McLaughlin used to call them margaritas, then this big outsized margaritas loudmouth soup.
0: <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> that's <laughs> accurate. Yeah, uh,
3: Logan, man, you said you were from San Francisco. Yeah, always, I was born in Los Angeles, but okay. I basically
1: grew up in the Bay Area.
3: Was it a total culture shock to go from San Francisco right to Tennessee?
1: You know, not really, because I knew a lot of people in Nashville. Okay. I mm-hmm. actually knew more people in Nashville when I moved there than I did really in San Francisco. Wow! So
3: you were pretty excited, I <laughs> yeah. guess, to get over there and and do your thing. Wow! That's
0: Absolutely, awesome, you know, and I'd
1: been going to Nashville since I was a kid. Um, just on trips. I grew up playing bluegrass music. How did you meet T-Bone Burnett? Um, Through a bass player named Dennis Crouch. Uh Dennis is the bass player in the
2: bluegrass Dukes. You know, my bluegrass band for years and years and and he's played on a lot of my records and T-Bone saw him playing with me at Hardly Strictly Bluegrass and then the next thing we knew, he's playing on Elvis Costello Records and everything T-Bone produced and nobody could book couldn't book Dennis anymore. He got. They started calling him. The, the the all the bluegrass players in Nashville started calling him Hollywood. And uh, <laughs> he's just like. Dennis lives. Dennis lives in in you know like in Charlotte, Tennessee. He lives in that's where Charlotte Pike goes, which is the county seat of Dixon County, yeah. and that that's where he lives. And and he's from Arkansas. Uh, he's. He's like one of the best upright bass players I've ever seen. You know, I've I've seen one better, and he would have probably agree with me. Was that Roy Husky? Was Roy Husky, it was Roy Husky yeah, Jr. And he absolutely. was a pretty of Roy's. And um, you know, he's just great. and He's a great guy, and he and I never in that band. You know, it was sort of a sort of a super group in ways. Tim O'Brien was in it, and and Daryl Scott, and and Casey Dreeson on fiddle, and that one person that was never hard to book. And and you know, Dennis would always just say when I come, would say, well, "Yeah, let's go." And then. Then T Bone fucked all that up because he, he had him working <laughs> on all those records. He uh, he just uh, he played on virtually everything T Bone did, including the record that that I made with T Bone, which was uh, you know uh, I'll never get out of this world alive. He played on played on there.
0: You know, every once in a while uh, it'll come up on the radio T Bone's version of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Yeah, yeah. And man, I love that Yeah, XRT that song. played this yeah. it. It year. Yeah, it was kind Pretty of a hit awesome. around here. So, but um. Y- y- it had to be uh somewhat daunting or oh. Steve wanted to tell you by the way, you're gonna go open for Steve Earle. And the <laughs> well, sin, he, he sent that him, to made him a star. Me. He sent uh-huh. him
2: to write with me. He basically was trying to find a time I could come to Nashville, which I still have a house there. He was trying to get a writing appointment together. Uh-huh. And the only way yeah. we could do it is he just came to Chattanooga. He didn't play on the show. He just came and we worked all afternoon and, and cool. wrote wrote most of a song and then we finished it kind of over over our telephones. And I invited him to open these shows at the at the winery because I wanted them on some of them. I tried to get him on the Nashville show. But I'd already given up one to my sister, and there was one that went to somebody else for some reason and I can't remember why. I
0: know you had Joe Pug last time you were. Yeah, Joe Pug was on two. Joe Joe's
2: on one of the two New York shows coming up at the end. The residency ends in New York, like uh, it always does. I think uh, he's uh, uh, Joe's going to do the very last one, but he did. You know they
0: do a great job with the residency. It it allows your audience to get to know you in a a really intimate way. I mean, it's. it's not a great big room. It's the three, four hundred people soaking wet.
2: Yeah, and three fifty, um, I think, is what is what all the city wineries see. And,
0: I've you know, learned to yeah. really enjoy shows there. You know, I've <laughs> seen Richard Thompson there. I've seen Dave Alvin there. I've seen um, a lot of acts. And at first, I didn't really know what to think. I was always a Fitzgeralds guy. You know, the, the I always liked the romance of the roadhouse. Right. And. Um, mm-hmm. But City Winery, man, they do it right. It's an adult mic it right. yeah. yeah.
2: so it? It's, adult <laughs> it's got a great to, sound, man. It's, it's, it's got good, an got good food, sound. and they make their own wine. I, I can't vouch for the wine because I haven't had a drink in 23 years, and the winery's <laughs> only existed for 10 but um, the, the original winery in New York City is about two blocks from my apartment. And right they're owned by Michael Dorff, who who founded the knitting factories, and, and, that, and then he sold those. And, and uh, he also produces these concerts at Carnegie Hall that raise money for a lot of great causes. He just raised a bunch of money um, to go to Puerto Rico, and the whole yeah. staff went down and started the process of – of rebuilding farms, they decided to concentrate on that get farms backing up, up and running and producing. They're a food good again. bunch. So, They're
0: really yeah, good. they, they also produce, citizens. They produce you know? um, uh,
2: John Henry's friends, which is a concert I do every year in New York City for my son, John Henry's school. My, my, my little boy has autism, and he goes to a school called the Keswell School, and and the City Winery, and 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 Michael produce that. How, how is John year. Henry? It's good. He's like uh, – still doesn't talk. I mean, he pops out with a word every once in a while, but he communicates pretty well. He's got some mm-hmm. signs and uses an iPad to some degree and a, a program called Proloquo that a lot of kids that are nonverbal use. Uh, mostly he signs and, you know, and he can – you know, it's me that's behind. He'll like, uh, we'll get home from from you know school, and I'll go to the, take him to the playground for a while, and get home. And sometimes I'm like tired, and I want to sit there and stare and look at the news before I start dinner. And then I'll, I'll feel a thump on my chest, and it's a whole box of pasta that he's gone and gotten <laughs> out of the cupboard. <laughs> and got time. It's, it's time for me to, to cook dinner now. So yeah. it's one of those things. And he likes my bolognese. So there right. you so go. Just, uh, you make a good
0: bolognese. I make a killer bolognese. Is it as yeah. good as Anthony's? from
2: I, you know what I'm saying it's yeah it's 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 the same kind of bolognese too cuz there's a lot of you know bolognese is a as is a in Italy there's no there's nothing called bolognese they just call it you know uh, just a a meat ragu and then there's no yeah. there's no they don't call it bolognese because right. uh, it comes from bolognese They just they, call they, it gravy right. yeah well gravy's a different <laughs> yeah. gravy's a different thing gravy in new york gravy's a different thing gravy is the red sauce yeah. that's not marinara the one that does yeah, have sausage right. in it and it, but it's thinner you know bolognese is chunkier and, and what bolognese has that 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 the gravy doesn't have is one is milk that's an ingredient mm-hmm. that's that the controversy about that some people put it in at the beginning i put it in at the end cuz that's what the recipe that i have says and mine's more of an americanized um like a bolognese because it has a lot of it's kind of complicated it's got like it's got sage and it's got oregano and it's got some uh-huh. garlic a really classic bolognese has nothing but nutmeg and really? yeah just wow. nut, nutmeg and wow. milk wow and it's super super mild and it's kind of designed for Crazy. kids and, and, and old people you know it's it's designed to be a really really mild sauce
0: Logan uh, Steve and I have a friend named Anthony Potenza who's uh-huh. recently escaped Chicago uh, from New Orleans okay and they had a restaurant called Three Aces, and they used to have yeah. these bolognese French fries. Yeah. yeah. Now they started calling them 420 fries because <laughs> all of the kids from the local college would go out blaze up and then order bowls of French fries and, and beer. Yeah. And uh so they put it on the menu four 420 fries. Wow. Right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the bolognese is kind of what put Three Aces on the map. Yeah, it's
2: a good bolognese sauce because they yeah. had a great chef there. It's uh, a
1: good idea bolognese French oh, fries and bolognese. Yeah. Yeah. I miss
3: that spot, man. It's it's kind of a shame. There's just you I know, can't believe it's gone. And I miss the sign, man. I miss. I mean, I, I I mean, just the artwork you did for all these restaurants. That sometimes just you know, who who knows how long restaurants the, are the going li- to last. The, the it, life,
2: the li- the average life. Um, Expectancy of a good restaurant in the United States is five years. Yeah, yeah. that's what I heard. And, yeah. and it's it's like that's a
0: crazy. That's the scary. ones that
2: the ones that are home runs usually last about ten or, or a little less than that. Yeah. And then, if the owner's smart, they sell them. Yeah. And then whoever buys them runs them into the ground. Yeah, it t- it takes <laughs> very That's kind of what happens, you know, to the great ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: Speaking of shelf lives, I mean, you guys are in a, uh, an industry that. You know, the, the shelf life for entertainers, I mean, you, you get you get some notice, you make some noise, you sell some you know, or in the old days it would sell some records, now it's I guess sell some MP threes not even but you're lucky downloads. if you do that.
3: Yeah. I feel like in music the I mean, full project has been rejected, you know, and everyone's going after a hit, you know, and they're just yeah. going for that, you know that's well, where it started. That's yeah. where it started.
2: The album thing the album culture, you know, when I was growing up. Um, yeah, I mean, like grade school uh, albums were were jazz, classical music, mm-hmm. show tunes, soundtracks yeah. of you know the the original cast albums of, of Broadway shows, right? And some films that were big because there were a lot of musicals made in Hollywood, and that's what albums were. That's what LPs were. That's the only thing you needed them for. It wasn't until you know it really it really begins um, to become commercially a big deal. It begins with the Beatles and especially Sergeant Pepper's only Hearts. Absolutely, okay. at that yeah. point, I mean, people were making albums, people were buying them more and more, but Sergeant Pepper's sort of solidified all that, and all of a sudden, everybody starts making, writing, and making albums to be albums. Yeah. I
0: always loved the albums that, for me, kind of read like a novel. Um, mm-hmm. New York by Lou Reed, Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, Copperhead Road yeah. by yeah. you. Copperhead which, Road which is for like... me was was a, a real post-taking of America in... It's
2: my post-Vietnam piece. It's 1988, so I'm late because it begins in about 82 or so, like Platoon, born in the Uh USA. There's all this post- Vietnam art that starts because it took us a long time to overcome the trauma of the Vietnam War to start talking about it whether you win or whether you didn't go I'd, my lottery was the first one that didn't happen uh, so a lot of my friends went um, one of my oldest friends a guy named Mark Germino is a great songwriter mm-hmm. and uh, he was in Vietnam in a swift boat he joined the Navy thinking it was going to keep him out of combat and it, and you know they said oh we'll fix your wagon yeah, exactly. and he, end, he ended up in a swift boat on, you know, on the Mekong River and he He just – we were at a baseball game. He's a baseball freak. He knows – you know, I learned to play stickball from him, you know, and a couple of—him, and he was from North Carolina, and a couple of New Yorkers that were in the music business started the stickball league in the alleys behind Music Row back in, in the early 80s. Really? Wow. And as just baseball freaks, I met Harmon Killebrew because somehow— Killer Killebrew, because, man. Because because Germino had become acquainted with him, and, and Harmon Killebrew—I wasn't there. I didn't get to witness it. They, used, they started having the stickball game, and they, they would do it on Sundays in Mark's backyard, and Harmon Killebrew played in Mark Germino's stickball. Oh, my God. So back in eighty, you know, in the eighties. I used to
0: watch him stomp the shit out of the White Sox when I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah, he Whenever was a the great twi- baseball player. Whenever the Twins came to town, it was Harmon Killebrew, Tony Oliva, Rod Carew. Yeah, they would just that was a great team. They man. would just extinguish the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, it was you know, <laughs> you know that, and if it was a doubleheader, my father was the first pitch to last pitch guy. Yeah, yes, I am.
2: I am. I, I totally. I'm I'm with your dad. on So that. I
0: had to stand there and watch the White Sox get. Their asses rubbed out oh, twice, man. and my father only wanted to see Kilbrow, Mantle, Maris. <laughs> he'd look in the paper and he'd go, "The Yankees are coming to town. Let's get the." Let's get tickets. No, fuck no. You know, can we
2: finally <laughs> see someone that can beat? Yeah. Is it Cleveland coming? Jesus Christ! Well, I think I that's. But that's a real baseball fan. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. When you, when yeah. you, when you go by yeah. that, when you go to see, you I agree. Know, They always say the Yankees sell tickets wherever they go, and they he always have. Mantle. It's one of those he deals. Absolutely. Everybody. Loved Mickey I, Mantle. I grew up a Yankees fan, but I grew up a Yankees fan in Texas. So it was the advantage of that was I didn't know you were supposed to hate Roger Maris. So I loved Mickey Mantle and Roger. Who Maris. would hate Roger Maris, man? The, New York local Yankees fans because yeah, they were they were, all, they were the Mick and yeah. they, and he was an import he was he was traded yeah. in two years before sixty yeah. one and, and
3: he sort of said something about the New York fan base I remember I remember he, well, was, I don't know was, if that no, movie sixty four made pretty anything accurate up, but that yeah. movie but
0: he, he said I'm maybe not a New York kind of guy. Yeah, yeah yeah and he, yeah. And he didn't yeah. mean
2: anything to dismiss that was he's after they already man. decided they didn't like him I mean, right yeah. you know, his when all that was going it's not everybody can play baseball in New York just because you know what Look at Randy Johnson man he he melted. Down, I watched that happen. Yeah. Randy, Randy Johnson's first day in pinstripes. I was. He's in, a mean son of a bitch he, to begin with. Yeah, and he, he was like, yeah, he's a great big redneck. And there yeah. was, uh, I was in. Um, I was in Babo, which was right behind my apartment at the time it was me Oh, my manager. It's uh no, it's it, yeah, it's yeah, it's Mario Batali's, you know, flagship restaurant. And we were um in there, um, me and some friends of mine, and my ex manager, you know, was in there. I was with my present manager with Danny Goldberg, who's been my manager for years now, and we were just um we were just like uh, on our way out, getting ready to pay, and we ran. To Randy Johnson was sitting there, and he had just come from, you know, the press conference, and he had done, uh, he had done Letterman that night. Yeah, and we hadn't yeah. seen the news yet, but he had already gotten into a scuffle with the with, with, photographer with the or photographer some or something yeah. coming out of that. And some people are not built for it, and I saw why. I was at a playoff game that year. And you know we're in the playoffs. Randy's Johnson's had a tough year. It's tough, you know, for guys like that to to pitch in. New Ever York. since
0: he killed that bird with the pitch, <laughs> kind of went dead. right, <laughs> right <laughs> to
2: <laughs> fucking hell, man. Yeah, really <laughs> but, oh, it was, but it was it was it's <laughs> just tough in New York. And and there was a guy. I mean, I'm sitting in really good seats on the on the first baseline and I'm probably in the seventh row, eighth row, there's a guy in front of me, you can tell he doesn't sit in seats like this very often, yeah. and he's got a ball cap with a jillion buttons on it, and he's he's <laughs> supposed to be a New York fan from the, the ball cap he was wearing, but he's yelling, He he's, he's never been in seats where the players could hear him before you could yeah. tell, and he's yelling at Randy Johnson, you bum, go back to Arizona. Yeah. Maybe somebody will like you and maybe appreciate you in Arizona. Where's Arizona? You know, he's just going on merciless. <laughs> oh, and all that. I hate that. And, <laughs> and it was like, you know, I hate that shit. There's a lot of people yeah. think that that's what the price of their tickets. My brother is one of them. I don't, yeah, I will he, not go to a baseball nah, game. With, really, uh, with Patrick? Patrick Earl, really? Anyway, no now Patrick Earl Otis Nixon almost killed my brother when he was 12 years old because he was standing. He got into some <laughs> good seats in the Astrodome. And the Astrodome, there's no. Dugouts. There's just that benches and a little shed, yeah, above yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. and they was like. Hey, do a little bump. Maybe you can hit something. He'd just come back off of a off of a jerk yeah, suspension, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. And man, Otis Nixon turned around and was climbing up over the shed after my brother oh, and two oh. of his teammates got him by the belt <laughs> and pulled him back down again. That's the only reason that you oh, ever no. met him because he was about twelve or thirteen then. But it's you just know, it's that thing of like fans can, fans can are be so ugly, hard; man. they can yeah. be awful. And the I was Philo- never that kind the of the Philadelphia kind of Eagles
0: shed. fans. I remember in
2: nineteen eighty-two, threw batteries at their. They own threw player. batteries <laughs> at Santa Claus. They oh threw. Fucking batteries, and <laughs> Santa Claus, and yeah. snowballs, and shit. at their own players, at their own players, Jesus. they'll throw batteries. They t- they, they
3: wow. that's entitled, everything. man. I don't like that. I don't like that. That's well, this just felonious, more, son. This is more that's, that's psychotic, a, 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 psychotic. Yeah, instead. exactly. You know, <laughs> <don't>, it's not <laughs> like
2: they won a lot of anything. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah. that was the, you know, just yeah.
0: their, These are people uh, who drink battery acid, uh, acid uh, kid. Yeah, you yeah, know, right, I mean, right, right. Logan, did you
1: grow up a baseball fan? Not really. You know, I don't. I gr- I played little league when I was a kid, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess I was a Giants fan growing up in San Francisco. I I, I went to bad games team. and stuff, but I I've never been a baseball aficionado. I really don't know the. It history broke of the game my at all. heart
0: that I couldn't hit a curveball. And that's why we I wound up in other sports. Yeah. I
3: wanted to play.
0: I was center the field least the un- th-
2: athletic person in my family, and I and baseball yeah. was the hardest sport, so I was worse it's in the it hardest than I was. My eyesight is terrible.
3: Yeah. I can't. I sucked at t-ball, yeah. man. I, I mean, come on. Just, <laughs> but you I I liked no the uniform, gift. though. Oh, I liked the uniform. I loved smacking the ball two feet. And I then remember running to you, first you base. did yeah. get
2: your dad to. You, you, and I'll never <laughs> forget him whining and pissing and moaning because having grown up on the South Side, and he's living in Wrigley. and then it never occurs to him that when his kid hits a certain age that he's going to want to go see the Cubs because he's right in the backyard. I (laughs) I
3: have a a lot of love for the Cubs. I mean, I consider myself a Sox fan because of this guy, but, I mean, you – you, you grew up in the neighborhood. I mean, come on. You weren't then, trust yeah. me. Yeah. My, yeah. my, my <laughs> baseball player, yeah, my unfortunately. You like Sammy. Was you were Sammy. You, know. you yeah. wanted to go Sammy. see Sam Sosa. Yeah, I totally get it. And Everybody I brought him. I went, I, mean, I went because I'm a good had an dad. He had an incredible year in, like, 98, right? Right I mean, up until was, all yeah. those
2: Super Bowls fell out of his bat.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was so tragic. He had to stuff all the
0: cork back in the white And seeing him now,
3: I mean, he's like a the Second coming, of, like Michael Jackson, it's just fucking Martian now. I mean, oh, I don't man. know what he's about anymore. So weird, you know? it's just yeah. so weird. But, um, I'll tell you what, though, when
0: he was on the Rangers and when he was on, uh, I mean, Sam was a good ball player. Yeah, oh man, he, he was
3: he was terrific.
0: Well, you that know? moment,
2: you know, it's funny, you know, the whole that whole steroid era, as they're gonna call it now. Yeah, I just don't think it's fair, you know, to to like penalize those guys because those hitters were hitting against juice pitchers, too. Yeah, yeah. the whole exactly. game was juiced and and. We allowed it to happen. We, the owners, we wanted home runs. We wanted
0: home runs, and, and baseball
2: baseball itself wanted, you know, home runs translated to people that wouldn't normally sit through a baseball game. And you know, now they're talking about you know finding ways to speed the game up and shorten it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like I don't like that. You know uh, what no, I love no, about baseball chess, it's not yeah. checkers. Exactly. Yeah. What it's I love about game.
0: baseball. Is it's it's like a novel written in nine innings, nine chapters, yeah. and it reveals itself over time. I love being at the ball game. I love watching. You know what? The guy who runs the infield is the fucking catcher in the first baseman. Those are the smartest guy on the field. No, I catchers are the only
2: only baseball players that see a whole baseball game. Every exactly, night. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they see the whole field. They see I everything love
0: watching just how they strategize. I mean, it's actually really really exciting. And, uh... You know the American just people say it's or... slow and that
2: nothing's happening, and that yeah. something happens on every yeah. single. Tell them pitch. to watch
0: MMA if they don't want to. watch it. <laughs> problem is the Fuck the
2: out of is... my face, yeah. you know. The I mean, culture. American football is going to be illegal in a, in a very very short time. You know what? It's going to go I, away. I don't, mind, away. That. That. Yeah. I don't yeah. mind that yeah. idea at yeah. all. Yeah, me you either. know, either. I, don't, I don't want my kid to, to play it. You know, yeah. I, I was so grateful when
0: he his game was basketball. Well, dude, I
3: I played flag football and just the atmosphere there. Of like, oh yeah, you fucking okay, yeah, no, I was like, why is kids, everyone, you know? why is everyone like, calling me a ridden. homophobic <laughs> slur right <laughs> now? It's like I just, I didn't catch the ball. I'm sorry. It's like, yeah. it's, like yeah. Jesus. I mean, it's like ridiculous.
0: It's like, you know? It's, yeah. It, it, you know what it is? It's like fat slobs, like me. Uh, spearheading their ego through their kids screaming and yelling. Yeah, shit. I it never was, liked that. it. Was so that can happen weird. in yeah, any sport. Happened in t-ball. Ball. Yeah, it, it can. It really we had can. A Fucking <laughs> guy screaming at little kids. <laughs> right. You yeah. know, yeah.
3: I you Absolutely. know my, I recall my coach for baseball was really cool, and he actually took me to a football game once. I don't I don't remember if it was high school or college, but yeah. I went with his son and. Uh, that was cool. I remember. I remember the good coaches, but you never forget those coaches that are like, what "Oh, the is
2: assholes." Your yeah, you yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? yeah, they can do a lot of damage.
3: Oh man, totally.
0: Um, so you come back here next month for the 30th anniversary of Copperhead. Yeah, I'm telling you, we were playing some of it before you guys got here. Yeah. And- He's I like. I can't wait to hear. Steve back doesn't to the play wall this
2: wall, anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, there's two. You know, records were still vinyl was still alive, just barely, but it was still alive. CDs sort of happened. My next record was the first time that I didn't really sequence it as two sides, but I sequenced Copperhead as two sides. And there's there's the the first side, which is the stuff most people remember, which is kind of the folk songs and kind of the songs that are about. Um, I mean, it rocked pretty hard, and that was on purpose because I was trying to get myself off of the country division once and uh-huh. for all. So anything that I thought would piss them off, I, I did. And but the the side one is the post Vietnam stuff and Reagan era stuff, and and whoever says that thinks that. Political songs are something new for me. It has not listened to Copperhead Road very carefully, yes. or yeah. or Guitar Town. Yeah, Guitar Town's a very political record. You know, or side, Exit
0: Zero. I mean, side
2: two is chick songs, and now I, fig- I when I hear those songs and learning those songs again, I figure out well why I got married so many times in the eighties.
0: <laughs> You're yeah. romantic, sir.
2: Yeah, I absolutely, am, and mm-hmm. that's what's on side two. And there was no other way to sequence it because I had I couldn't find a way to intersperse those those more romantic pieces in between the stuff that was all just sort of first-person narrative about what happens to people and, and yeah. what was 1988, um, 87, 88 America.
0: I think of your romance as a triumph of optimism over reason, you know. I think, <laughs> well, I yeah. think you are absolutely uh, I think you look for the possibility in every
2: Yeah, I think it's one of those things, but there's also like, you know, I mean, what am I thinking about when it comes right down to I'm gone so much and, and uh, you know, at a point when, when I would like to slow down maybe a little, I'd like to be in New York a little bit more, just because I love New York. But um, and that's where I lived for the last thirteen years. But you know, I've got child support and all money to pay, so I have yeah. to work. So it's one of those things. You know, John Henry, the stuff he needs are, are expensive, and and they exist in New York yeah. and very few other places. In the, in the way that they. It do seems in New that York, the so. science,
0: as far as the education, is the best there.
2: It is for for people with autism, no doubt doubt about it, not any doubt about it. Um, It's just there's more options. There's there's ABA schools and what they call floor-time model schools. He's in an ABA-based school. And there's only one school I know of in the United States that's a full-time ABA-based school. That the ratio is one to one, literally one teacher for every student every minute of the day.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, and
2: that's but that is what's recommended for children yeah. with. Autism. And I think it's yeah, yeah
0: necessary. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know, Logan, my favorite Steve Roll stories as far as alimony goes <laughs> is when he dedicates his song to the meanest woman who ever cashed an alimony check right. at a beer store.
2: which is like, you know, I was probably. I don't know. It's probably something that maybe happened no on a telephone earlier in the day. I don't know. It's one of those things. Like sometimes I can't, I don't, I don't, I conveniently forget what's driving my behavior at the time I say something on stage.
0: Oh, Jesus, tell me about it. <laughs> I, I walk through life doing that shit. Yeah. You know, I try not to. I mean, I've, I've become more circumspect. Yeah. Logan, what's, what's down the road for you? Are, are um, we, we going to see a record pretty soon?
1: Uh, there's no real timeline, but yeah. uh, yes, definitely. I'm, I think Good. we're supposed to be going into the studio in the next few months. And
0: You guys, and please, whatever you do, that song that you played both nights at, yeah. uh, at City Winery. That oh, is absolutely. I'm
1: definitely recording that.
2: Lights of San Francisco is the name of the song. Absolutely right
1: an, a knockout. It's I just mean, a piece
2: of the the that... The, well, Logan it. Had basically—had you written the whole thing? Had you written a version of it um, started it? I
1: had written a version of it that I kind of threw out. Yeah. I had some lines. I had the title. Mm-hmm. The, it's a really good
2: idea, and it was like the idea was based on, on, a, on a guy um, from—you can almost see San Francisco from San Quentin, and, you know, San Quentin— Not on a foggy day. —still exists, but <laughs> well, not, not even on a clear day, really, but, but yeah. it's a stretch, and— but then I just got popped—it popped into my head, well, you know what? You, the prison—there is a prison that you can see San Francisco from, and that's Alcatraz, but it hasn't been a prison in a long time. So I came up with the, the wild idea of, uh, of, making it, yeah, of making it a ghost story. And mm. I don't know. There used to be—you could do ghost stories in country music, yeah. and you could do— Long Black Veil. You know, yeah, Long Black Veil's yeah, a great one. So I just kinda, I'll never get out of this world alive. It's, yeah, it's kind of that thing of just, like, I don't— um, you know, some of the dark, as Emmy um, was talking about what she learned from Graham Parsons, and that was the deep, dark poetry in country music. You know? yeah. And a lot of that's been been removed. I mean, um, I'm nothing against the way country records are arrived at. You know, a lot's been made of something that I said, where I said was like, basically hip-hop for people that were afraid of black people, and, and that's true. kind of <laughs> but, very accurate. But, but that's, a, but that's a matter of marking. I don't care about arriving at it by hip-hop rules. I made a record where I, a folk record basically arrived at by hip-hop rules. I'm okay with that. I just, you know, I like a little guilt in my drinking songs. Yeah, you know, oh, it's absolutely. The, it's the party song aspect yeah. of it yeah, that it irritates the, me. Bro, a the beast, right, 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 The yeah. beast
0: in me, you know? I mean, those...
2: Yeah, I I, you, I my problem with with country
0: music as you hear it on country radio right now is there's this really ugly ethos of this blind patriotism. Well, that's there. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. God guns and thing, uh yeah. guts and and uh the hat guys seem to be the most guilty of it. Well, I don't know. It's, it's although it, although Dwight Yoakam wears a hat and he's great, you yeah. know. I, I'm I'm a fan. I, I don't um, know.
2: I think it's one of those deals. I don't have a problem with, with I don't have a problem with patriotism. I don't have a problem with um, I,
0: I do Nor I just when it's blind I have a problem with it. It's not even
2: about it being blind. Most of the times when it happens in country music it's it calculated and it's it's about you know, I was uh I was in uh, you know, years ago, I had the three-piece Rockabilly band. We were opening for Hank Williams Jr. at Billy Rock right, This was before did. I was making records, and I was just like, you know, um, uh, you know, I was kind of losing the audience. I was, they were letting me live, but just barely. And then finally, I just said— we played Dallas last night. We're in Fort Worth at Billy Bob's. I said, we played Dallas last night. It sure is good to be back in Texas. And then I played Batman Rising or something, and then I had him from that point on. You know, so I, I was I was pandering to the audience. And, you know, I think like Toby Keith, for instance, I think I think what he was doing wasn't oh, so God, much about politics or anything. He believes it was, hey, if I do this, it's going to sell a lot of records right now. Yeah. And, and he mm-hmm. did, and it did. You know, so, yeah. I did oh, hear man.
0: something decent about Toby Keith, though. And it's Merle Haggard. Was touring very, very late into, and not long before he died. Yeah,
2: no, he he did.
0: And Toby Keith was in the back, uh, in the back, the backup act, and because he idolized Hagg, and Merle Haggard walked over to him and said, um, "I'm very, very short of breath, and I'm wondering how many of my songs do you know?" And Toby Keith said, "All of them." Because you might have to sing some of them tonight. And he did it. And you know what? That kind of—that's no, of, yeah. no, yeah. no, of what I'm saying. I showed me I something. Yeah. You know? yeah. I
2: it's just one of those deals Because I, I
0: was ready to kill him after the yeah. whole 9/11 thing. It's like I just thought it was the ugliest kind of. Well,
2: I game. did wear. I did. I did a sh- one festival with Toby Keith, and it was in Switzerland. I don't know why they put us on the same bill, but we were. But I, <laughs> I, I. Yeah. I burned up telephones for three days to get a hold of a Dixie Chicks T-shirt to wear on that show, and I wore it. So <laughs> a- <laughs> <laughs>
0: so. You know, um, Max and I worked on uh, the television show that. I'm, I'm, it's called Patriot. And one of uh, my castmates is named Azar, and he plays a character in the show named Kiman. He's a devout Muslim. And he said to me in Max one night, he said, you know, he goes, the only music I ever heard where I could see myself in was just an American boy.
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We
0: wanted to bring him to the show. He's in Los Angeles. He's he's a devout Muslim stand up comedian. Yeah. And in Patriot, he's absolutely wonderful. Well he
3: had no idea that you've done Almost every album cover yeah. for Steven. He, 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 he drops like this bomb on him, <laughs> and he, yeah, he spring up. He goes, "No, no, really? Oh my God! No, you don't. Yeah.
0: You, you don't <laughs> understand. Right. Yeah. This well, is my hero."
2: And re- you know the yeah. thing about that, about that, because he
0: can sing the whole song from start to finish. Cool. He did it right outside. Well, it of the began with probably. it began with
2: something <laughs> that he's probably that he's probably intoned a lot of his life because it begins with Sora forty seven, which is. Basically, you know, I am a witness. There is no God but God and this prophet, you know, is Muhammad. That's right. what it says, literally. That's what the chorus in the song says. Yeah. You know, I should do la, 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 Allah. Um, it's part of it, half of it. And um, it, that's what I wrote first because I, I wanted to write a song about John Walker Lind. And the reason was just I have – I saw a 20-year-old boy duct taped to a board on on CNN. Yeah. And I had a boy exactly the same age at the time. My son Justin's exactly the same age as John Lind. And and you know, it just occurred to me that for my first thought about it was, he's got parents and they must be sick. And um, you know, it um, it's like um, you know, this is a guy that that uh, you know, I've met members of his family since it was a long time. I tried to stay away from them, and I just I kind of hoped that you know, what I'm doing. There's a pretty you know, it's right on the edge of not being okay. I'm a, I, that, that's not John Walker Lynn talking to you in the song. It's a character that I created that's based on the idea of John Walker Lynn and yeah. what happened to him. So, you know, a, a lot of people would have changed the names, but it was sort of useless to do that at the time. It just wouldn't have—everybody would have known anyway, and it seemed disingenuous. So oh, I, I, just r- I remember, remember it, so.
0: when, when, when it came out, we were in Ireland.
2: Yeah. You and yeah. I were
0: doing the Remembered City right. at the Town Hall Theater in Galway. And, and my
2: mother freaked out because— we, it, Some it asshole on the, CNN. The, uh, it leaked out. It was, who was the old crotchety guy that used to be on Aaron CNN in the morning? Some, and it's, some guys. He yeah. was the old guy. And uh, and he just said—he made the remark, uh, well, I hope he's got a good bodyguard. And my mother heard it, and she freaked out and started yeah. trying to track me down yeah. and what me up at— <laughs> She still doesn't know what time it is in Ireland when it's, you know, 10 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs>
0: By the way, I have a bunch of uh, women friends who are going to be buying pea hats from your mom. Oh,
2: cool. Because so she sells them and she makes yeah. them every single day. That's what she does. So she makes I good think, ones. I,
0: I think that's absolutely she wonderful. Started,
2: started, my sister's become, um, you know, the Nashville, the head of all of the beginning. I, I sent my sister um, to the—, to the to the march in washington the first one the big one i just Uh kind of helped her get there and and um you know it was like she really wanted to go and since then she's become she basically organizes the demonstrations that have happened you know all the women's demonstrations that have happened in nashville ever since and that got into my mom got involved in it started making the hats and and uh that's all my mom does is crochet and knit anyway so i've never met your sister. You never met Stacy. Not met even. Stacey. How did you miss? Because she toured with us on the whole tour, the the Transcendental Blues Tour. She was the chick singer in the opening act for that whole for that whole tour. So I you,
0: have no idea. You must how not have I been around her. for Transcendental. Yeah. <laughs> so,
2: where did we play? We played. I think we played um, Park West for the first time in years on that tour. Is what we did. But it might no actually. I think it might have been it might Vic. have been, it was the big. I think yeah yeah yeah. It was the Vic, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Cool. Logan. What's your first record gonna sound like? Oh, I you know, know that's a impossible. Somewhere between
1: question. Hank Williams and Roy Orbison, I, I'd yeah. say. Somewhere <laughs> in the well, yeah,
0: when you were growing up, you obviously probably heard Steve. Yeah. What were your primary
1: guys? I mean,
0: what were your go-to?
1: You know, when I was a kid, um, okay, let's go way back. The first. Um, Kid, I got shoes older than you. <laughs> what are you? 28. <laughs> I'm 27. <laughs> uh, well, the first uh, music I could really remember connecting to and, and liking was a. Uh, it was uh, my grandmother gave me a uh, an Elvis CD. Oh yeah, first believe first, or first, or not. For me. first for me, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah and it, I mean that was the first time I really wanted to sing was hearing was hearing Elvis. Well,
0: what did John Lennon say? You know, before Elvis, there was nothing. Which yeah. Is Bullshit, but total bullshit. You know, but it's yeah. a great quote because there was little Richard and there was Chuck Perry,
1: you know. But yeah, but I did love Elvis, yeah. I mean, so that was the kind of um, that's what made me want to sing, I think. And I, I might, I must have been seven years old, I don't really remember. I've kind of, I don't really remember much from when I was that age, but I remember that, and uh, so that that sort of started me on the path. My dad played guitar, um, so I started playing guitar, and um. I got really into um Bob Dylan. That was sort yeah. of the first. And that's actually through my guitar teacher. Mm. I learned a lot of Dylan songs and then through that I kind of got into, oh, where did all this stuff come from? So, I, yeah. you know, I found out about Mississippi John Hurt and yeah. you know, and then I got into Doc Watson. And through Doc Watson, I got into um you know doc watson isn't really a bluegrass musician but he's connected to that whole world yeah flat picking and everything i started playing banjo and then by the time i was 13 or 14 years old i was deep in bluegrass just full on um i at that point i really i wanted to be a banjo player even though guitar was my first instrument i started playing mandolin and then through bluegrass i was always interested in the old in you know the Bill Monroe and Flatnose yeah. Grugs, Reno and Smiley. Were you a Del McCoury Ruggs. fan? Were you Absolutely, McCoury's. Yeah. yeah. As far as bands that were that were still playing when I was a kid, the Del McCoury band was definitely my favorite. And they were band. the best
2: bluegrass yeah. band in yeah. the world at one point. Yeah. You know, when Mike Bub was still in the band, and, and that's no offense to anybody saying now, There was just this moment when you know D- Del was at his peak, and that's when the moment when I made a record with them. Yeah. So I was boy, that was an astonishingly
0: beautiful tour. Yeah. Um, Unbelievable. And uh, well dressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never seen you. I, I was thinking every night, Steve must have a court date. Jesus Christ, he's in a
2: city. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's
1: that's a actually suit. how I f- uh, first heard Steve's music is through Del McCurry.
2: Through the mountain. I was voted yeah, right I was what voted the Bluegrass record. Antichrist by the IBMA that year. And um, nothing got nominated, and they voted me the. They had a special vote to vote me the Bluegrass Antichrist. I was, well, I was kind of a, proud of that. Uh,
0: now, a lot of the. Bluegrass fellows, I, I believe, are probably very religious men, men, men of faith. It's
2: funny because yeah. it's kind of both. There's that, there's that faction, and then there's the other faction that They're... are that are hippies, mm-hmm. and you know, because there was Cause a whole... there's Blake yeah. and
0: Peter Rowan and those guys. Absolutely. Yeah, Well,
2: that's what saved it, and 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 Bill Monroe would have been the first person to tell you that was was when Bill Monroe started playing like folk festivals. Then this people that were members of this genre that he had kind of invented, he was the first to do it. And then, you know, of course, you know, bluegrass becomes a genre the day that that Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs leave and start their own band. And then from that point on, what happened was a succession of people, especially the singers, came and were the lead singer in the Bluegrass Boys for a year. Most of them never lasted more than a year, except for Peter Rowan, who was there three years. And... Um, but Del McCurry had the, had the job for a year, and then he started his own band. You could join Bill Monroe's band, and be there for a year, and then that legitimized you, and you went out and you started your own band. So, he I'm was kind
0: of like the that. gateway The drug. only people
2: that didn't have that, that option were mandolin players. If you're a mandolin player, you were shit out of luck, and you had to go out there and try to make your own <laughs> way because that, that job was taken in that band.
0: <laughs> now, my friend John Rice is a marvelous mandolin player. You someday, please meet him. He's great. Mm-hmm. Steve knows him a little bit. Swears you cannot tune a mandolin. Is there any truth to that? Um, He really
1: can't tune anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think he needs
2: a better mandolin. But the the uh, you know, it's one of those things that it's stringed instruments are, are hard to tune anyway, and. You learn to compensate for it. The thing that's that's technically, mathematically untunable is is a flat top guitar. That design is just isn't really mm-hmm. quite really in tune. But yeah. you know, we don't really hear completely in tune either. We've learned to compensate and allow for certain things. And and uh mandolins are <clears throat> it's a well made mandolin. You know, mandolins are are seventeenth are and eighteenth century violin building technology. So they're well, they're technically way more accurate than flat-top guitars, uh-huh. are, as far as the tuning goes. You know, on an,
0: on another uh, track, I've noticed in the last few years conversations with you. You've paid a lot more attention to hip-hop.
2: i paid attention to hip-hop for a long time. Look, yeah. the hip-hop's folk music. When... when There's no difference between two kids unpacking a piece of digital gear that they don't really understand and throwing the instruction book away, and a a, a dental student with a five string banjo in Washington Square Park, you know, trying to learn how to play it. So it's it's do it yourself. It's folk music. So that's that's um, I don't um, um, you know I just like you know. Um, Kendrick Lamar. I, I, if is, I'll listen to Kendrick Lamar, if I yeah. to listen to that stuff, yeah. it's, it's, one mean, of those, it's one of those. things. I mean, and, and, and do you like Chance? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I don't listen to my my hip hop is, you know, just like my tattoos is old and out of style. It's, um, you know, I like my guys are. And of course, I tend to be pretty political, anyway, and and hip hop, you know, has this political history that goes back to the very beginning, at least in Shot the United D, States. Man. You know, yeah. so. To me, I'm I'm public enemy and and uh, NWA, which was as political as it gets, but it's about their politics and what was happening to those guys right then. And I lived in L. A. at the time, so. Um, you know, those are and, and and I guess it's because I'm from Texas, uh, the Ghetto Boys. But even more than that, the records that um, the the two Willie D solo records are two mm-hmm. of my yeah. very favorite records. Been going out like a soldier is like killer. And check uh,
0: out a guy from Chicago named Vic Mensa.
2: Yeah, I've heard about him. Yeah. He's the real deal.
0: My yes. son's. This is my son's. Kind of lingua franca. He
3: grew up with hip hop as right. As well, yeah, primary yeah, pop music. Yeah, well, I mean, it's also it is primary pop music. The yeah. music
2: business is no longer based in New York or L.A. It's based in Nashville and Atlanta. That's that's where the yeah, mainstream right music on. business is now, and that's because of country music as we know it today and hip hop, and because country music finally found the youth audience it was always looking for. And I do not have a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's just the best stuff coming out of Nashville right now. Uh, the women are doing for the most part i really truly believe that i mean the best you know, the, like I'm singer songwriter i'm for the most a, I'm a fan
0: of sturgill simpson i'm no, I, a fan sturgill Simpson's of chris great.
2: stapleton chris you know? stapleton's great and those are the two that, that recently um, that i have not me but uh, and jason isbell I like yeah, a lot yep. you know and but he's not really played on country radio uh, i'll tell you Miranda lambert's last record is is fucking great she's great, great. That record's a really, really good, really good, good record, record from beginning to end. It's one of one of my favorite Double records. Double record, yeah. Come Double yeah, and it holds up. Mm-hmm. That almost never happens. It sounds great. The songs are all there. You know, it's a really, really good record.
0: Well, uh, the shows at City Winery were just astonishing. They yeah. They were great. And yeah. It was a blast. We we were, we're blessed to have you both. I would love to have you back when you come back for the Copperhead shows.
2: Well, if we can do that, you know who to, you know who to holler at. Yeah, absolutely. I just, yeah,
3: I just want to. You did the intro. I want to do a little outro here, Matt. I, I, you know, what's so special about you two is this has just been an ongoing collaborative loving relationship you guys are like brothers man and uh, man I'm still looking for you know that collaborative partner man and I, whenever I see you guys I go I know it's gonna happen you know I've done you know my best friends in a band we've done videos together but I just do uh you know, I, just, I don't we feel that energy man. that you guys You're, feel, man. Well, years ago,
2: I want that. Years ago, he, he had a show in Philadelphia, and and I happened to be playing <laughs> there, and he was like having his usual like shoot himself in the foot relationship with an art dealer meltdown, and oh. he he like um, yeah yeah he like I walked in in the afternoon, and the bus pulls up right and the way. He always tells the stories that even the bus had tattoos, but but we we got out yeah, again, you know and we freaked the it people was, that owned that gallery yeah, no out, and we all got I, off the bus. The, about, yes. The, all the yes, rich yes.
0: white people ran fuck out of the it
2: was like, it was like, You I know, the Dukes it.
0: walked in, everybody with money walked out. But we
2: knew each other for a long time, but after I got yeah. out of jail, I just sort of, uh, I made a record called Train and Coming, which was made pretty quickly, and it was yeah. on a small label, but when it came time to make the next record, and I had some time to think about it, I didn't want pictures on the cover anymore. I wanted the art on the cover, and Tony was the artist that, you know, that I admired the most and knew the best, and I called him and asked him, and he's been, I've been rapping my Art and his art ever since that was in 1996 and uh, that first cover and uh, he had just done a Neville Brothers cover a few years before and a Lou Reed cover. And Lou Reed to this went to his grave like mad at me because my oh, record God. got reviewed ahead of yeah. his and the, I'll never forget that it. it was. He was, released, talking, he was talking. He was talking to me. I saw him. I saw him about at, at about, the end. He to nine, a nine lot, months. Nine months before we got long great before that you know, but it was like nine months. Uh, before he passed away, we were we did um, we did um, we did Jules Holland together and, and oh cool and, good and it was with the one with Metallica that tour and, and, and I was on the show at the same time so right on but it was, it was a blast but he, Max
0: wrestled him to the ground when he was about six years old <laughs> <laughs> my, so Steve walks into uh, the Fleischer Gallery in in Philadelphia and I had just seen the Copperhead Road show and about two weeks before that. I made a sketch of a copperhead just because I I love that fucking record so much. I mean, It was every a pencil, it was a colored yeah. pencil sketch. Yeah, it was one, you know, it was one I of my old diary it. drawings, yeah.
2: right? Oh man. So um I still don't have a slate, and that's the only thing I don't have. And I got to try to find one. Don't no, worry, still pal. It. Yeah, you will have one soon. Yeah, we'll somebody, find you a slate. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody promised me one, and 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 then passed away. He before passed I away. Got our, to, yeah. our dear yeah. friend Jonathan yeah. Demi. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think he intended to give it to me, and, and you I, know, I, he just didn't. He didn't get around to it.
0: I think that the he'd beaten the cancer twice, and when it came back, it came back so perniciously and so fast. I don't think he had a chance, chance to, to, do, anything. to do, sick, do anything. He was sick, he was in the yeah, hospital, absolutely. he was unconscious,
2: just like that. Yeah,
0: And, yeah. Um, you know, an absolutely lovely human being who is also responsible for, you know, being a huge person in my life and, you know, kind of pointing me to the... Knew where the stones were, you know, walking across the he, river. He also yeah. did
2: the best Tony Fitzpatrick impression of anybody that i got. <laughs> it's, it's good to know you spend time having fun with it. Oh, you know? man. Hey, go, the, you, you, do you ever, ever tell you about, John, about Jonathan Demme's uh, Tony Fitzpatrick? No, no. He goes, hey, you know, man, I think I'm doing the best work I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anybody who's buying my work every time, day. That was that was <laughs> sentence 1, you know. Yeah. So anyway, he walks into the gallery and you know, in the old Dukes, I mean, the, the, you know, this is Bucky and all, all those guys. Yeah. Everybody with Zip the Gibson, fur coats yeah. and shit ran the fuck out, you know. <laughs> the only one who was like somewhat presentable besides Steve was Kelly Looney. Yeah. And um and he had ripped up jeans. So I went over, the copperhead's hanging right behind the desk over the thing. It's, he really loves it. I pull it off the wall. It's, it's security mounted up. There. I just pull it off, and there's two really unsightly fucking holes. The show's about to open in 15 minutes. There's just no way they can repair it, you know? And That's a big hand- hole in the wall. And I handed
2: it to me, And, and to I, I just it handed on. it to Steve. I carried the awesome, helmet on man. the wall in, in my house in Fairview, Tennessee, to this day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, that kind of sealed it. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have a particular favorite cover or is it, you know, is Of the covers? Yeah. Um, God, um, probably Jerusalem. Right on, yeah. Uh, it's just a the one. most intense one. And, and, yeah. um, uh, I mean, there's. I love them all, but Jerusalem. Yeah. they're just something about. I'm really. Yeah. I have a soft spot for that record, um, and I have a soft Boy, spot. Boy, so do I. You know, love and some that, of yeah, the pieces, yeah. most of the pieces, recent years have been created specifically for the project. There's some, you know, like the mountain. That piece. That's the only piece I don't own because that's that belonged to to Tony's mom. The the piece, right. that, but it's a it's a digitally manipulated it a, version. It was of, about
0: my my. It's kind of about my dad's. Dying. yeah right, right on. on so yeah. that's the only yeah. one which I've was at, which that. happened almost exactly when the mountain came, came out. out yeah, yeah. and uh, wow um
2: came out finally in 99 so yeah, so yeah
0: yeah but um uh you know there's 25 covers now it's like um somebody said to me there's there should be a book and you know down the road probably
2: well, I have a, a, I have I have a I have a proposition for you about a kind of book, but I and it probably you'll probably freak out about, it, but I want to talk to you about it when we get off you. <laughs> well, well, oh, okay. it is
3: a book. I think it should be more than the covers. it should be oh, no. about yeah. your relationship. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well,
2: no, I mean I've thought about this one thing when I publish we could do something really cool. I'm, i I want to publish the haiku that I wrote during my haiku year at some point. Yeah. And that's something we can yeah. do together and we've talked about that as a little you know little, but, what? but I want to I, do that. I, I want to do I, I want I, I never thought that I'd want to do this. This is generally what um, lawyers know, really, really rich lawyers' wives do. But I want... I, I want to make a children's book, and I was going to say,
0: "The Ritzlers was what? Bang the pool boy." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
2: well, you can bang the pool boy while you're at it. most <laughs> most children's <laughs> books, you can you can you can bang uh, you the, know, bang I the would, pool boy while mind. you're writing them. <laughs> I would song mind doing another children's <laughs> project.
0: My alphabet was a children's well, project. Well, exactly, but, like to do but that. the
2: point is, there's a song of mine that I made up for John Henry, and we sing and I've actually recorded. it. It's called "The Elephants." And I was singing it, you know, at one point. Uh, and, you know, Danny Goldberg heard it all the time and thought it was some old children's song that I've had. But, but I think it would lay out a line at a time as a great kid's book. I'll show you what you I know, mean you know point. I can draw idea. the fuck out of I elephants. elephants. I have one, you know, yeah. I, have, I have a couple of them because yeah. of the alphabet. And I've got my last name is, begins and ends with an E. So, yeah. so I have some cool. elephants of yours. Well, Logan Steve, Ledger, man. Steve Burrow, thank you. Thank you so we much. love you thank guys. You man.
0: Thank
1: you so much for yeah. being with us. Thank you. Facts.
3: Can't wait to see what what what's to become of you, man.
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. this is it's
1: up around the bend. Yeah, it's, you and please, Steve look very Chicago. natural together. We have
0: a big four-bedroom house. Please be our guest. Oh, thank yeah. you. you yeah. you serious about that. Yeah. 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 yeah, doors exactly. open anytime. Yeah, my house,
1: your house, brother. Likewise, I mean, you probably wouldn't want to stay in my house. It's kind of a kind of a dump.
2: <laughs> 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 so you wanna be an outlaw, but take it from me. It's living on the highway. Ain't everything supposed to be? Everybody reckons that they wanna. Be don't wants to be alone Stumbling in the alley at a quarter to three Hollering for Sally, honey, what you trying to do to me? Told me to go to hell, I'm going back to Tennessee I said, angel, you can never go home Never go home A million dollars, and you have to keep it hid. Ain't no place to spend it in the desert if you did. You can't take it with you when you go. Always something laying for you up around the bend. Everything that goes around comes back around again. You can't trust anybody—not a lover or a friend. Your mama, maybe.
3: Hey guys, this is Max Fitzpatrick of the Max and Tony Show. We just want to thank you for tuning in to our 22nd episode. Big thank you to Steve Earle and Logan Ledger. Sponsored by Forbidden Root Beer. Next time you're in Chicago, check out their brewery on 1746 West Chicago Avenue. Big shout out Park Walk Productions, home of the Max and Tony Show. Don't forget to check out Adventureland Gallery and the Dine Showroom at 1513 Northwestern. We are currently showing Tim Vermeulen. If you want to get caught up on old episodes, maybe revisit this one. Check out the Max and Tony Show.com. Tune in next time for our 23rd episode. It is our Michael Jordan episode, but Michael Jordan will not be a guest, I don't think so. But stay tuned.